Belgium. Mm. We bought a mic. I'm thinking of buying mics. <laughs> you met at trivia? That's so funny. Are you doing Buffalo Bill right there? What was that? That's a real big fat person. Did did Jesse Flemings have a great, great fat head? (laughs) Oof. Hits good every time. Hello, and welcome to We Bought a Mic. Pop culture podcast here with a new Kaufman joint. Mm -hmm. Charlie Kaufman Mm -hmm. joint. I'm thinking of ending things on Netflix. We're going to review it. We saw it. Um, but first, how's how's everybody doing? I'm good. Um, having a weird one because I watched I'm Thinking of Ending Things on Netflix today. Mm. Um, and it, it's, You're in your feels. Uh, yeah, you could say that. Uh, I be in my feelings. You be in your bag, you bitch, as Kendrick Lamar didn't say. Um, no some, I, it, yeah, it veered me off in, into a strange path. Um, I was doing homework. Uh, and all I could think about was just fucking sapukuing myself on my bed with a fucking sword. Nice. See, it's funny you say that. Like, I thought that this was a pretty, I thought this movie was a romp. Like, I recommended this movie to, like, my elderly dying grandfather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was deathbed, and I was just like, here, like. I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah, you, you're alone. Watch this. A-A-O. You'll love it. <laughs> we, we haven't heard from him since. I hope yeah. he's doing okay. Yeah. Happy birthday, Grandpa. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh man. That's tough. Um my birthday gift to you is a film recommendation. Yeah. I hope your dad is or your grandpa is okay in California uh where there's nothing going wrong right now and the skies are totally clear. Yeah, uh well I guess I guess it should be time I say that I am recording this pod remotely because I just moved to California. Me and Guy are expecting, and I had a big surprise to announce to reveal the gender of our child that was just born. <laughs> mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it it did get a little bit out of hand. I thought that it would be really, really cute if I started a forest fire, but like I made it blue to say that we're having a baby boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, you thought that because if you burn like hydrogen or something, the fire is blue and you're like, well, there's hydrogen in the sky. Yeah. So I was just like, I can just light it up. It'll just burn like you're having a boy into the fires in perfect lines. I didn't calculate that I made the lettering 10 miles long. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did kind of escalate a little bit. Um, yeah, so it's it's fine. It's all uh, it's all getting under control. Right, now, but so but when that when that child grows up and it sees the giant blue cloud because boy, yeah, covering the earth, then he'll know, oh, OK, well, my parents I, love me. I'm just really excited to one day take my kid there and just be like, son, we disown we we made thousands of humans and tens of thousands of creatures either die or have to evacuate this area. It was all because of you, because you're that big. You're worth and thousands of lives. And then that child's going to be thinking of ending things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Welcome to We Bought a Micro Pop Culture Podcast. I'm Drew. I'm Ernest. Oh, I'm Hunter. Oh man, we're going. Things uh, are weird today. You could quick. say that we're uh, we're like messing with the the timing of the podcast. Very Kaufman esque. Yeah. You don't have to do this. Today, uh, 
yeah, we're reviewing this movie. But before we do that, I did want to real quick do some catch up. Just a quick the some boys, the boys on Amazon Prime Video. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Dane, mm. friend of the pod, recommended this one uh, almost a year ago. Yeah, uh, when we had him on people, for the Irishman. People have been talking. He he brought it up again when I saw him a couple weeks ago. Uh, didn't watch it because of him. Sorry, Dane. But now he's a donor. So now oh. we're legally obligated. Well, then I did. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry, Dane. I watched it all because of you. No, I just, I showed up at my girlfriend's place, uh, last night and she was just, had just started the pilot and I thought it was very fun. So it took me a, a little while to really get into this show. Um, it is extremely violent, mm. extremely <laughs> like nihilistic and sort of cynical take on superheroes. Yeah. Sort, um, of, sort of a like Watchmen take. Yeah. Yeah. But Watchmen has this like seriousness to it. I mean, there's 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 a well, lot of like weird silliness in there, too, because it's Lindelof. Yeah, but this is well, no, I'm not even thinking about Lindelof okay, Watchmen okay. at all. That has a really bizarre take on heroism. Uh, that's its own thing. You're, but t- like, you're, you're more Snyder-y. The comic thinking. book. Even. OK, it's okay. like a very like an authoritarian, like militaristic parallel between heroes and uh, the military. <laughs> it's only an eight episode first season. And season two just started and they're rolling them out in kind of bundles. Mm -hmm. They just rolled out the first three eps. And then I don't know if they're going to do one a week. I don't know how they're going to do it. But uh, season two is is the new one. And um, I caught up with season one. And I, I think it's a good show. I really think it's it's a it's a worth the watch. Yeah. Uh, you just have to be prepared to see some gnarly shit. Yeah. There is some imagery in here that is extremely upsetting. I guess I'm just a little twisted. Yeah. Like yeah, the Joker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But the, mm-hmm. the general premise is good. You know, you have this like Justice League type of characters. You're Superman. You're Wonder yeah. Woman. You're Aquaman. But they're all like awful people. Well, yeah, they're all and they're a corporate product that yes. is doing. Like, Which the, is kind of Disney-esque. Extremely. Yeah. It, it is. At once, it's it's like a fine line because it's at once undercutting that trend while also directly feeding off of it. This right. couldn't exist without that existing in the first but place. But it's like it goes so hard R. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is it's it's this is really unafraid to have a lot of fun while still being like, a you know, a much darker, uh, more cynical take. It's not like it's not like a show that's just devoid of all fun. It's In fact, it's extremely fun. Um, so I wanted to talk about Jack Quaid. Yeah, he's the main guy. Lead guy. Um, Quaid obviously isn't a super common name. Dennis so Quaid. I immediately had to look it up. The son of Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. What? They were together in, through the whole 90s. And this is their offspring. He has a lot more in common with like Michael Shannon visually. Yeah. He looks like a young. Not, bi- as, not as scary. No, but he he looks like a baby Michael Shannon, like a little less intimidating. Like Bill, he has just that big head, that Bill Hader, Michael Shannon head. So did, are we thinking Meg Ryan and Michael Shannon? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe got it on something. a little bit. Maybe and then Dennis was like, Dennis. Are we, are we breaking news? Is this like, uh... <laughs> yeah, this, I, I believe it. Um, but the, the show itself, I, I just watched the first two apps, um, but I, I had a romp. I enjoyed it. Um. You're going to you're going to stick through it. I believe so, because it's um, it's right on the edge where it has it has like enough uh, 
like prestige and artistry behind it. And yet it still is like a almost like a guilty pleasure feel where you like you're watching it and it's like it is a fun watch. It's, yeah. it's not like a thoughtful yes. watch. That that is one of the reasons why I stuck with it, because I felt like these are long episodes. These are hour long episodes. And I felt like I could turn my brain off slightly and like maybe do a little work on my laptop on exactly. the side and yeah. I would be totally fine. It's not the type of show that you need to be zeroing in on to catch everything. Mm -hmm. it, it's not, it's not Kaufman-esque, I would ah, say. Yes. Mm. How is, uh, how has Carl Urban? He's it? actually one of the best parts. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, I'm, just because uh, we are doing, we are resuming our Lord of the Rings watch through next week. And he's in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. He's in two towers. What? Yeah, I, he's in Two Towers. I, I saw him in there. I was like, oh shit, I forgot that Carl Urban is in this movie. He um he plays uh oh god, we need Brett here for the, Elmer. Uh, yeah, that, that's it, Elmer. Yeah, wow, um, Brett, you've been replaced by a computer instantly. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, he's in there and he's he's good in the two towers. And I was like, I always forget that like he's just a part of these kind of this unrecognizable. Yeah. Him he has like long hair and He's really good in that, but I, I, I've always really liked uh, Carl Urban, even though he's not in a ton of stuff. Um, yeah, he's, I did he's think that he solid. was related to Keith Urban up until about uh, forty-five seconds is, ago. That when is I just, so <laughs> racist against Australian just, people. Uh, Australian people named Urban. Yeah, um, I mean he's from. New I Zealand, just, I so. did just Google Carl Urban and Keith Urban, and that it, it mm. is a is a common. It, it's a great role for him because he does. Uh, he plays like the the guy who like initiates the Jack Quaid character into this world because uh, essentially like the the extended premise is this Jack Quaid character. Um, he becomes a guy who is without spoiling like anti superhero like he's in he's in a position where he is like fighting against the heroes um, and. Carl Urban sort of like initiates him into this world and shows him like why this is even a thing mm -hmm. because these heroes are just awful like in every possible yeah, they, way they they suck so hard <laughs> like they, they are the shittiest motherfuckers um shouts to Chase Crawford who is a really bad actor and <laughs> as, as much as I saw in this he's like it's not like he's ruining anything but he still is bad uh he plays the deep um the deep he's an awful guy but Oof. there's a scene with the deep towards the end of the season mm. that is one of the most unsettling uncomfortable moments i've had watching anything <laughs> in a long time holy shit yeah and we are talking about a kaufman movie today as well so <laughs> I, that that means something um yeah, but I just I think it's a really solid ensemble performance in this uh show Aaron moriarty i see her sticking around uh, Starlight. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I actually think she's my favorite part of the whole show because mm -hmm. she her character is like the new superhero in the group. Yeah, she's the fresh being, face. Yeah, like, she's being like introduced into the the Justice League or whatever it's called in this, and she has she uh, immediately realizes that it's all a scam. Exactly. It's all, yeah, it's all like a fabrication, and and, and she's grown up like idolizing these people yeah. and it's all undercut immediately mm -hmm. as soon as she's let into the the inner circle and that's such a cool perspective to have to see this person who like wants to be this good hero this sort of classical 
uh, hero figure and then finds out that like yeah it's all a sham oh also uh speaking of i'm thinking of ending things colby minifee in this show I oh love yeah she, i see her being around forever yeah like she is a really solid actress and cool she, face she ha- yeah she has a really interesting like susan sarandon adjacent face uh i really like her and she was a pleasure and i'm thinking of ending things too not to spoil yeah yeah so it's the boys it's on amazon um Season two is out now. I, I put it on the other night and I I don't know, man. It was just so violent right off the bat that I just couldn't I couldn't hang with it. And I'm going to have to return to it when I'm in a in a different mood. And I couldn't stick with the whole first episode of season two. Um, you just you have to be in a mood. No. I don't know. I just I find myself in a in 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 a place right now where I just respond uh a little too intensely to like the level of violence that's, that's in this show. no that's fair i see it as still part of a you know the hero landscape so it just doesn't really track for me the violence in something like that because it's still so removed but um it's i i like seeing right now on imdb that aya cash enters the fray in season two yep mm-hmm. of uh you're the worst yeah i was gonna uh, she's awesome I've, i was gonna ask you guys i mean Ernest, you might have a better idea uh because i remember whenever the boys came out um other than people saying that was good people talking about how this is kind of the last stage of the superhero genre and that now it's like at the point where we're watching heroes but like it's not like Deadpool, fun, quirky, anti-hero. It's like, oh, like I'm actively like dislike the people in the show. There's like a thousand pieces right written on it and comparing it to like the death of Westerns and about how those got very, very introspective yeah. and everything. Do you feel that at all whenever you're watching The Boys? Like, is it hard to come back after The Boys and get like hyped for the new Black Widow? Well, that's interesting. It's it, it feels so different. Like I can still be hyped for the Marvel shit and enjoy this show. I, I, I I can see where that point rings true, especially because you see these hero characters in situations that are very similar to what you think you'd see a a hero character in, but they behave in ways that you've never seen Mm -hmm. a hero Mm -hmm. character behave in. Like there's, there's one sequence that I think has gotten a lot of attention where a uh, homelander the superman character type character is uh trying to save a a plane that's going to crash and there's this dilemma of like you know if he should even do it if he should even save all these people and that's that's something that i think Zack snyder tried to explore with something like man of steel mm-hmm. um so it's not necessarily like uncharted territory but the way this show does it with you know full on r-rated language and gore and violence and just this like kind of flippant cynical nature to it it's it's not really just because it is adult doesn't mean it's taking itself super seriously no that's what i wanted to say because uh, also to answer your question not that i've seen like that much of the show but uh, like I said, like Alan Moore explored this territory like in the 80s fully yeah. with like and, th- and that's because like we're dealing with a major like a revival in superhero stuff yeah. in a new uh, form of media. But back then it was a bit tiresome. Uh, exactly. So, yeah, the answer is pretty much yes. I But I will say also, like you're saying, 
uh, it is not taking itself too seriously. It also doesn't contain the depth, obviously, that that exactly. like the, the original text contains because uh, it's it's hitting you pretty hard with like the this is bad. Mm-hmm. These people are bad. Do you get it? Like yeah. I, I was like, OK, they keep on saying like, you know, it's good for the corporation. Like yeah. they keep calling themselves the corporation. I'm like, OK, I, I get it. You yeah. know, we're yeah, there. There's, there's a lot of that. And I, I think ultimately like the 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 show suffers from like getting to a more deeper place than something like Watchmen did when Watchmen was able to explore these these deeper themes of like white supremacy and 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 genetic trauma and all these things this show it 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 can't really go there because it's preoccupied with being like these are bad people mm-hmm. do you feel bad watching the bad people Um, and, and there are good moments and there's good action and there's crazy wacko violence and shit, which is good. But, you know, despite the good performances from all, from the cast, there is like a little bit of a wall that gets hit. Um, although there are these tiny little tinges because it's based on this, on a book, which we haven't mentioned yet is it is based on a Garth Ennis, uh, comic book. There are these little tinges where you can tell that the, the, Garth Ennis isms are coming through of like this guy really doesn't like superheroes and he really because it was written in kind of the Bush era he wants to use that mm-hmm. to comment on it the whole like uh commercialism uh, war profiteering angle and there's a religious angle too that pops up doesn't yes. really get explored that much but there's like you see this through line happening of like the type of people who love jesus mm-hmm. and who love america yeah. and who love war and who lo- would love superheroes yeah, that's the mm-hmm. demo for these people they bring that up a lot um i personally uh within two episodes i was more hooked than i have been on any uh other superhero tv show i've ever seen i'm not a fan of any of the marvel shows particularly i, I like i thought daredevil was solid it wasn't for me uh and this is like of a different cloth and so i just i appreciated it just for being different really um not for not because it's like yeah fuck the heroes because this is a hero show it can't be too fuck the heroes it's about heroes so it's fuck the idea of heroes but it's also not fuck hero movies or anything because this is it so i'm not saying it's it's from that angle but uh, i found it enjoyable so we'll we'll touch on it again with season two coming up, and then maybe we will have uh, Dane on uh, once we all watch it and we can all talk about it. So shout out to you, Dane. Thanks for uh, recommending it. The boys on Prime Video uh, and some other boys that we can see how they're doing. Boys named Charlie. Woo. Boys named Jesse. Girls, um, girls named girls Jesse. Named Jesse. <laughs> girls named Jesse too. Yeah. Girls named Tony. Mm-hmm. Uh, over uh, at the new Netflix. I'm thinking of ending things. Um, so Charlie Kaufman. First, before we we talk about the movie, how do, how do we feel about Mr. Kaufman? We love his him. work. I I think it would have been cool. We we might still have to, time to do it, but it. it might be cool to revisit some of his work. Oh, I'll yeah, I'll revisit all of it. You know, I, we we love adaptation here. We stand. Mm-hmm. Um, Just but, saw that for the first time earlier this year, and it fucking blew me away. Being John Malkovich yeah. is fucking incredible. 
I mean, of course, Eternal Sunshine is my favorite of his films. I I'd believe. probably I'd probably go Adaptation. I love number one. I, adaptation. I yeah, well, it's we'll, so good. I adore. We'll we'll save it for when we talk about this because this movie is right up there. Um, but I will say I was a little bit down on him after Anomalisa. Um, Anomalisa is a movie that is. Um, it's probably the most depressing and uh, dour thing that I've ever seen in my oh, entire yeah. life, but not in like, not in a way that I usually appreciate films being dour. It just like actively like put me in a funk for two weeks after I saw that movie. Um, and I've, I've always wanted to see Synecdoche, New York. Have you guys seen that? It is so good. Okay. I oh. need to, I need to visit that one. I mean, cause he's only, this is his third movie that he's actually directed after Synecdoche and Amelisa. I, um. I think about that movie a lot. It's not it's not a perfect movie, although maybe I'll think it is if I revisit it. But he did something really special with that to get Philip Seymour Hoffman at at, at the core of one of his weirdo stories. Mm-hmm. Oof, it's 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 really really good. I think that my thing with Kaufman is that he he's unlike anybody else. And, you know, coming out of the gate with being John Malkovich, I think was his coming out party. Uh, I know there's this other movie that he did called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Um, But when you look at a movie like being John Malkovich, it's like, how did that movie get made? Like on paper, that's like who in their right mind would make that movie? And ultimately, that's what all his movies are like. Exactly. I mean, for the most part, it's truly like. Uh, Eternal Sunshine is his most accessible um, and most beloved by the masses. But yeah, being John Malkovich on most of his movies sound like if you were to explain them and definitely this most recent one, you would sound like you were telling someone about a dream you had. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. They're surrealist. Yeah. They're so uh, incredibly like they follow what feel like whims, but they're it's executed with such like unbelievable precision that it, 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 I don't know. It, it's such like dogged commitment to such flippant ideas. And to me, that's like some of my favorite uh, film. And I, I think that at least for me, when he hands his scripts over to another director, they evolve in really interesting ways. For example, I think that the, the, the I, I'd want to revisit Eternal Sunshine because I love that movie. Uh, but I haven't seen it in a long time. But the two that were directed by Spike Jones, being John Malkovich and Adaptation, just blossom into something completely different than they would have been if Kaufman had directed them. They they become this wholly unique new beast. And now with these three that he's made, um, Synecdoche, Anomalisa, and I'm thinking of ending things. He is not handing the script over to another director. He is realizing it himself. And he is clearly putting on screen exactly what he wants. And he is in full command of he wants of what he wants to, to have on the screen. But by not giving it that other life of another director, it's increasingly becoming more and more inaccessible and 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 there it becomes more and more foggy to see through it and to understand 
what's going on in this guy's head. <laughs> he's so he's so heady. He's so out there. And in my opinion, when he is giving the the script over to another director, that director is able to take that idea and present it to the audience in a way that we can really connect with it and enjoy it as a movie watching experience. Mm. And with Synecdoche, Anomalisa, and now I'm thinking of ending things, it's like he's losing that. He's losing that. And then I I I am having trouble like connecting with his movies uh because there's it's becoming cloudy. It's becoming cloudy to see through it. And, and you know, there's all these pieces being written where he's like explaining it. And obviously this is based on a book. So there's like all the the knowledge that you get from reading the story. But my my take on this movie is that like there's so much thematic weight there. Like so many ideas are packed into this thing, but they are not easy to grasp. And you have to do a lot of work to get there. And on my first watch, I wasn't, I wasn't doing it. I just wasn't doing it. Maybe going back a second time and then reading back through it. Um, Cause there, like I said, there's just so much, there's so many references to other works. There's so many things. And I think, I think, uh, uh, Hunter, you read the, the piece that I'm referencing the indie wire. Yeah. He uh, did interview an interview with indie wire that, that everybody's been talking about. There's so much around this movie that informs all of the ideas that he's trying to pack into this. And I haven't really tapped into, uh, most of that before recording this podcast. So maybe after watching it a second time and reading all these, uh, auxiliary materials i'll be able to like find a, a a deeper way into it but just on a surface level movie watching experience it was a it was a tough one for me to get through hmm. i was i was not vibing with it mm. so that's that's really interesting i i hear what you're saying about the difference the differences between his earlier works that he did hand off to others and now that he is kind of taking up the director mantle himself. However, I don't think that any other person could have realized his vision and what he wanted in this movie. Yeah, if he totally did not unique. Direct it. And I think that this is uh, not only the best film of the year so far, I think that this is one of the best pieces of surrealist filmmaking in the last decade. Um, I watched this movie and I... Like, I kind of got it. Like, I've been I read the IndieWire piece and stuff like that afterwards, but maybe it is because I'm a person who's watches a bunch of David Lynch films and a bunch of other different surrealist filmmakers. But it's this movie to me is uh, it reminds me if I was going to compare it to anything, it would be to Mulholland Drive, which is a David Lynch work. Um, but it's not the surrealist that I don't like. Like I was thinking while watching this movie at one point that funny enough, one of the things that this movie reminded me of is mother, a movie yeah, that I hate, sure. um, that I absolutely detest that film. And this is, uh, of course on another plane than mother, but also metaphorical dreamlike. Uh, yeah. But, uh, unlike Darren Aronofsky, he's like, do you get it? Do you get the metaphor? It, it, he's Jesus. He's dying because he's Jesus. Where Kaufman is 
leaving it up to your own he's leaving it up to your own interpretation and i think that there is enough there that i've read a few different pieces that even differ with my own take on this film and differ with what the book is saying and i think that kaufman very smartly is not over he's not over explaining himself uh which i appreciate a lot but I just I think that this movie is excellent. And I'm glad that we didn't see the Spike Jones version of this movie because I think that it's worse. I don't know if there is another version of this movie. Yeah, this, that's why I think that this is I like I again, I said I did not like Anomalisa at all, but I'd rather a guy like shoot his shot and make something yeah. that's wholly his than pass it off to something else and get a watered down version of uh, his idea. A really funny dichotomy here is that the book is actually a lot more concrete than the movie is, which is yeah. usually the polar opposite of what adaptations do. But this is Charlie Kaufman, of course. And so he took it in his own direction. Well, there's apparently there's more details in terms of like the backstory of the characters that inform mm -hmm. the events of the story. Um, I I loved, loved this movie. Like I, I loved it a lot. Um, I think there is like, it, it feels weighty at times. It feels like it has this like growing density to it. Um, and I what got me through that and what got me through like the, you know, the feeling in the back of your head that you need to know all of the references they're talking about is that it those references uh, are mainly also a vessel for our actors to act some weird shit. Like it's mm -hmm. it's not just like saying things for the sake of saying things we're getting intonation and we're getting looks and we're getting uh, we're, we're getting like world class acting from all four of our main ensemble here. It is some of the best acting I've seen in years. Like it's uh, picture perfect casting. Jesse Buckley hadn't seen her before. I don't think she's a star. Yeah, she's yeah, a she is. She's I still need to see wild. Oh, here's a here's a jaw dropper. I don't obviously I can't know if it's true. I just got an IMDb's trivia section. Original casting for this role brie larson yeah apparently that's, yeah i see i, I don't think it would have worked well she she mm. also she's like rules of course but the reason that doesn't work is because we have less history with jesse buckley and therefore we cannot imprint uh so much upon her which is funny because that's a large part of what the movie's about like imprinting that's a great point yeah, yeah because I, I i think that the nature of this character relies on you kind of being a little bit unsure of who she is and yeah, uh, just and also, kind of in the dark yeah and and relatively quickly we figure that she is an unreliable narrator and also like kind of not a narrator in in a bizarre way um i it's a I, wild movie i know i i love this movie uh because it allows for scenes to happen that uh, I couldn't imagine if you gave me a thousand years and a typewriter, I could not write scenes like this. And that's, uh, at this point, like if, if you're not, if we're not allowing people to do things like this, then what are we doing? You know what I mean? It is funny that I remember whenever this movie, whenever it was first coming out, people were like, Charlie Coffin's making a horror film. And this is not a horror film. There's some. Uh, it certainly feels like it's about to become one. Yes, exactly. I, I kind of wish it had. Like oh, part I, of me wishes it had yeah, but like he, it wouldn't it couldn't have been him doing that. And it I don't think it's as good. Um, I think that it has to stay. It has to have, like you said, that nightmarish quality. Like you are just watching a nightmare unfold in front of you where it's just like 
oh, what's happening? I hear some like rustling. I hear something. Is this like, and there is like a real tension, but there's not really any ever sense of relief. Like there isn't the uh, moment that you get in horror films after the big scary thing pops up and then you can kind of put your guard down. This is a movie that is so disorienting to the point of almost becoming nauseating at certain points. And I think that that, really works in the film's favor um again of course this movie is very obviously not for everyone i was straight up not having a good time (laughs) i I can't imagine who like just like joe man who just like fired up netflix and they're like oh what's the new releases i already watched kiss and booth too let me just throw on this film (laughs) and then they put that on there and i'm sure that they turned it off when they saw that there was a 30 minute car ride with just them talking and (laughs) no actual yeah i think the first one is uh like 17 minutes and then the second one is like 22 minutes yeah just all in a car shout out to that's that's charlie kaufman just full-on flexing because i did see one of the things i saw is that that dialogue like isn't really from the book that's yeah. just Kaufman writing. And the fact that I was like enthralled for just 20 minutes of people just talking back and forth. It was it was incredible. A, it was a tough hang for me. Mm. I I lost track of what they were talking about for a lot of but that. But it doesn't matter. It really like it doesn't really matter. I, ma- I, I, I think know. that the contents of what they're talking about are not as important as the wider things, which will, yes. I I. I no, the filmmaking, one of my main things, one of my biggest takeaways that we'll get into in spoilers. I Well, what I loved is it, those scenes in particular are if you put like a normal car scene with a couple that is going through mild tension into a fucking blender because there's like what they're saying, like you said, can be nonsensical. But the intonation and the reaction from character to character is the exact same as if a couple was just having a, a normal minor scoff in the car. And the way it's shot, too, oh. with the snow just like blasting yeah. through the frame. You can't even see them half the time. Oh, well, yeah. The and windshield wipers are going crazy. I, that was so beautiful to me because uh, the second car ride is preceded by a, a line in which she says something like, um, I, you know, some people say that uh, time or we're like flowing through time. But I think we're we're points in time is flowing through us. It's good. And yeah. you cannot see like where like any background to where they're traveling you just see the snow flying in their face they literally are not moving yeah the car might as well be flowing through them (laughs) and and it's fucking gorgeous man it's so so cool to me um there are a lot of spoilers we need to get into uh quickly yeah (laughs) because it's it's a nutso movie it's def it's going to be polarizing i couldn't have predicted how you guys i i could have guessed that you would like it hunter for sure (laughs) um i i I, I wanted to like it man i fucking love charlie kaufman i was so excited for this movie I was also excited for Tenet, and that also didn't Man, land for me. Man, you're not having a good, a good couple of weeks here. I, this week, I watched a movie written and directed by a C name, first name, and co-starring a Harry Potter alum, <laughs> and it was a little uh-huh. bit up its own ass. Hmm. And uh, hmm. they're both the same movie. Mm. I'm thinking of tenant things. I'm tenant of tenant things. Um, <laughs> uh, I will. I for people who are worried to go in theaters, um, just stay at home and watch this. This movie is about a billion times better than Tenet. Yeah, and find a rip of Tenet online. It's going to be easy. I. This is one of those movies that I ultimately land positively on because of the craft. 
mm-hmm. because the, the the level of creativity and just how bold it is is so undeniable. Um, the performances are all incredible, and there's just there's just nothing else like it. Yeah, but for most of the runtime, I had no idea what the hell was going on, and I felt so out of it. Like I, I could not engage with the story at hand. I could appreciate the the filmmaking and the craft and the work put into it. Um, but I just I I was I he would lost me. He was losing me and then he lost me. Wow. And uh it sucks because I was really excited for this movie. So I I will try to revisit it. It's not a movie that I'm like gunning to revisit. Just because the more I read about it and the more I kind of dive into the interpretations of it, it's not it's more like, oh, OK, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, that checks that checks see, out. I like like you, Hunter, I definitely felt that I got the grander uh, like the grander like truth of what was actually happening, despite not necessarily needing to. But and then uh, like. I almost don't like how in depth he went in this IndieWire interview because he says that like he confirms what I thought, but like it's like you don't you don't got to do this, man. Just let it be weird. That, that shit kind of pisses me off a little bit. Yeah, just I'm like, let it, let I it be bizarre. I shouldn't have to read a fucking interview. Well, I to understand yeah, I what's going on. Well, if, in yeah, your, if you feel you movie. had to, then that sucks. I didn't, so yeah. I loved it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I felt like I I was bugged because like I got it and then I see him just explaining it and it's like man you don't got so do this. I think it's I okay. think he does and he doesn't the way the IndieWire article is written which we can link to it is a really interesting piece especially if you do have lots of questions about the film but um it's almost written as if it is a combination of an interview and then somebody's take on the movie like yeah. that's how it is almost it feels like it's written because is it David Elric. He, uh he no he, this it's is eric cone Ehrlich did the inner the uh review of the movie gotcha. yep. wire which is a, I, I enjoyed his review of it um but yeah this is a movie that is going to be polarizing i i don't know who to recommend it to <laughs> the only people i would definitely recommend it to would be hunter in front of the pod colin yeah <laughs> fans <laughs> and of, we both found it to be masterpieces yeah. <laughs> so fans of surrealist yeah. filmmaking oh. i mean this movie feels like a dream like and there are moments exactly. where you're just like straight up in this guy's subconscious that's 100%. Well, yeah that's that's why i loved it because it's it's just like it's not super long. It's less than two hours of straight dream theater with the best actors imaginable and like the best direction imaginable, really. Mm-hmm. That because I hadn't seen like, uh, the other two of the Charlie Kaufman directed films. Obviously, I knew it was going to be well done, but my it's like really, really, yeah, it really. Is, it's so to beautiful. Keep the the shot selection so interesting in those car scenes. There are angles all over the place, and it's still like legible. That was eye. really cool to see. Wow! 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 And uh, just certain little moves, like when, like in the house, how the camera is slowly drifting to places before the people go to those places. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Everything in the house is yeah stellar. It is stunning. So let's, let's move on to spoilers. Um, um, watch if you dare. It's on Netflix right now. Yeah. So um, check it out. I'm thinking of ending um, spoilers. Yeah. Now. an adaptation of the music video of Cage the Elephant's Shake Me Down 
Uh, shake me down. The one where he has like a blanket over his <laughs> yeah. head. Think about it. The even on a cloud. <laughs> that have you just seen an that old you, man? Just literally, it's that. Like th- halfway through this movie, I was like, oh, this is just shake me down, but feature length and like way better, of course. But like that music video is just an old man having like bizarre flashbacks as he's dying. The boys have to get some copyright claims on this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I that like mean, helped me wrap my head around this movie. <laughs> was like that's how you. That that's how you. Fucking, having that I mean, dumb fuck so, thought. So let's let's start there. The the notion that the janitor is Jesse Plemons is like yeah, no shit. <laughs> like that's totally obvious from the jump. That's not something that you need to read an article to understand. I think that where the movie starts to get extremely opaque is with the Jesse Buckley character and the the idea of her not being a real person is what starts to get really, really murky because you don't really find out that that's the intention until like pretty much the end of the movie. And there's seeds, there's plenty of seeds throughout. Um, but the, the, the bulk of the movie, what they give you is that like, he, the, the different people are being mixed together. That that nobody is yes. the 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 person that you think they are. You are not the person you it's, think you yeah, are. Yeah, it's all very murky memory. But but it's not it's not a hundred percent on the money that you're in um, Jesse Plemons' uh, mind. No, until the very very all, end of the because movie. also it's not quite. Yes, exactly. That's what I was yeah. going to say. Is that this isn't just young him. This is like. He is this old man janitor is projecting both of these characters. He's projecting a more idealized version of himself that actually does have a girl that he can bring home. Maybe Jesse Plemons. He's not like an attractive dude, but he's not like a hideous he's a, he, guy. He get it? Yeah, yeah. He's he, a hottie. I'd, I'd like to see where that big head could go. But also, I mean, Wait. but they also <laughs> they they are two different parts of his personality because that. I, I keep coming back to the voiceover that Jesse Buckley kind of has throughout the film mm-hmm. where Jesse Buckley is sort of inner in, monologue. Yeah, it's the same thing as Jesse Plemons is a projection of himself. Um, Jesse Buckley is a projection of or not a projection, but it's it's representing like just the depression that he feels. She is thinking about ending things. She's thinking about like just killing herself and ending all of this. And why Plemons keeps kind of cutting off her inner monologue that she's having is because he's still, he's having this own battle in his head of like, I should kill myself. But if I just create this fantasy in my head, then we can just all work things out and I can just imagine this other life that I would have had. It's probably a constant fantasy too, you know, cause when you see him cleaning up in the, the, the theater, after the theater kids, it's like, this is probably like every day for him. Mm-hmm. And all he's thinking about is just this life that he never had. Exactly. Or could have had. Yeah. And, well, and that it's also projected through like the media he's consumed. Like we see that, that unbelievably funny Robert Zemeckis movie. Yeah. That, that was is amazing. That's, that's so funny. The directed by Robert Zemeckis was the I, funniest. It's the funniest shit. I literally, I clapped. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes, this is, this is amazing. And, up until that point in the movie, I was with it. Like everything from minute one to when they leave the house, I was a hundred percent in because everything that happens in the house with David Thewlis and Tony Collette mm. is like 
masterful, oh my God. impeccable they, shit. And even though I, I wasn't vibing with that first car ride, I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, I so, get you, Kaufman. Let's go. I was with it. I was still with it. It was like it was like Tenet, right? Like at the beginning of Tenet, you, you have no idea what the Don't fuck. Don't you fucking dare compare this movie to Tenet. This movie is on another plane from Tenet. But I'm, the notion of not knowing what's happening at the beginning of the movie and you're thinking like, I'm going to go with it because I trust the filmmaker that has put this together. I have no clue what the fuck is going on, but but I'm going to trust you. That's how I felt in that car ride. I was like, OK, OK, we'll see where this goes. We get to the house. Perfection. Everything there is perfection. And then after that, I was like. Oh God. So I don't I, know, man. I wanted to talk about the car ride thing because this is something that I didn't really kind of put together until afterwards thinking about this movie. But so my whole read on this film is that old man is kind of a projection. He is the older version of the Jesse Plummons character. He met this girl once at a trivia night and they had like some kind of mutual little connection thing. They talked for a little bit and then she left and he never got her number. And he always thinks back to this night because Which this a, is the closest that he ever came to being with her. It's her. apparently extremely explicit in the book. Okay. That, yeah, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. In the, oh. um, yeah. So my main thing with the car ride and kind of the pop culture references and stuff like that, that people have not liked. He lists so that all is, of the musicals. He's like, I'm so not really a big fan so of that's musicals. A thing. <laughs> so lists all the musicals. I think that this, like this dude is like, he's not emotionally developed in any kind of feasible way. And he is incapable of actually communicating. Even in his fantasy, he is incapable of communicating with this woman on any kind of a true emotional level. They, anytime that they try and just like make little bits, small talk, she goes back to her inner monologue of just like fucking kill yourself. The only time that they can have a dialogue is when they're talking about pop culture or they're talking about movies or books or anything like that. That's the only time. Can't relate. No. Yeah. And I was getting me. That uh, was the most relatable thing of this entire movie is that like oh if i separate like media that i have mutual interest in with this person what do we have in common not specifically with my relationship that i'm in now because we can because you don't have yeah that's how you know it's Um, real is if you don't have a ton in common taste wise yeah you can just vibe yeah and you can Mm -hmm. just kind of like just vibe and talk about just like other things but i think that that is why those scenes are so important. Um, I I'll save the a beautiful mind of this whole movie for a little bit on because I, I that's was, the best part about this entire film. I was is that. so fucking lost. Um, during that. I had no idea what the hell. I I, I went back to like I read or watch the thing and I was like, oh. Uh, maybe it's because i just watched that movie that it was well i mean i i noticed the dvd uh at one point early on but before we get into because i have a whole bunch of thoughts did you have a similar take on the whole the pop culture oh yeah absolutely like it's because it's all from the perspective of one person who's neither Plemons nor buckley Mm -hmm. this is literally in his wildest dream (laughs) it's just to him talking about david foster wallace and now he's just known for killing himself yeah which is a a great name drop to be in a movie like this because david foster wallace wrote unbearably dense material his entire career and then killed himself (laughs) yep um but yeah like and also 
like like you mentioned the him listing off those musicals these aren't just if if you're looking for a through line then it's definitely going to be to be like a, a less pleasant experience but if you're extremely just extremely frustrated if you're just enjoying watching like the best actor on earth uh almost like do an acting exercise in front of you oh yeah of like you know it's like you're they're given material that's straight from a dream and they're told to act it like it's it's endlessly fascinating to me to see where actors take lines like these that don't have an inherent direction to them. There's not a precise way to do it. I don't know how much Kaufman, how hands on he is as a director with like like little, you know, parenthetical type stuff, because, uh, for example, when Jesse Buckley begins quoting that insanely long yes. review of the Cassavetes movie. It's in yeah, character. It's, it's, she's she is literally directly quoting the Pauline Kale. Yeah, the review. Which, which there was. That's one thing I did notice is a giant ass Pauline Kale book in his childhood yeah. bedroom. Uh, not that I knew who the fuck that was. And oh. not, that, not that I needed to know that to enjoy watching Jesse Buckley switch like lit a cig, <laughs> switch straight to a transatlantic accent and read the longest review. Yeah. No, well, like, that's just fun. It is. I mean, it was to just, me, that's just absolute fun in cinema. Like, that's just like having a good time. One, it is excellent. And two, it also kind of points out about how this person is like he's like a mentally stunted person. Like he's incapable of creating his own original thoughts. So like his in his fantasy, it is him pretending like he had the idea for the scathing review about a movie from the yeah. 1980s. <laughs> that is what he's like. He is not a person who ever developed that part of his brain. This is what we're all going to become is like janitors at rural high schools <laughs> and all we consume by media. Yeah, but we can't we don't talk to anyone so ostensibly. That, that does work into something. I guess I'll kind of teeter on a beautiful mind uh, part now. Uh, for one, just the hilarious joke of using that as one of the main jumping off pop culture points. And that is. Uh, notoriously the movie that beat adaptation for best picture that year was adaptation even nominated? it wasn't nominated but yeah. it also beat it for screenplay yeah. and for yeah um spoilers for a beautiful mind um skip ahead like a minute and a half if you want to uh it's a movie that's based on a real person and you can just kind of figure it out it's a fine movie um ed harris so <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful mind <laughs> The main actor is a paranoid schizophrenic, and he is unable to separate uh, kind of fiction from real life. That's kind of one of the things for schizophrenia. And this takes beautiful mind. The story takes place during the Cold War. So he has fears of the Cold War coming and the bombs coming. That's kind of also the same thing that's happening with this janitor. The janitor is incapable of separating the humans in his life from pop culture references, from movies and TV. When we have all those jumping off points, it gets very disorienting when you know that they met at trivia and they're like, oh, yeah, they met at the diner. You recommended to me the uh, the the Santa Fe burger that he just saw in the Robert Zemeckis fake film. Like he is a person who his brain is like breaking, trying to put this thing together because he's trying to convince himself not to kill himself. And, and the, the movie has so many moments where uh, that bleeding happens with every other line mm -hmm. where so they're talking about like 
what somebody is majoring in in school or something mm-hmm. like that, like super mundane things. And they keep coming up and every time they come up, it's something different. And it's in being informed by another thing previously that was tied to a different character. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I love that. I wrote down like really early on when I was still trying really hard to make sense of things. Eventually, I just kind of like let it go. But like early on, I was like, she has a shitload of jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I literally wrote that with like three question marks. That's that's a whole other thing is that he doesn't even know what the dream girl has fantasy is. He doesn't know if he wants if he if he views himself as a smart metaphysicist. And so he also wants a smart metaphysicist there with him or if he wants a sensitive, emotional poet or Mm -hmm. like he has no idea what he even wants. So to to that point, I think that um, I think Jesse Buckley is incredible in this movie. She's so Mm -hmm. good. But I think that. It's it's a really tough part for anybody to do because oh god she's yeah. embodying a uh a made up archetype like so a lot of people harp on Kaufman in um Eternal Sunshine for like the whole manic p- pixie dream girl Kate Winslet character and the mm-hmm. idea of like a broken man being uh, leveled up or improved by this like magical mm-hmm. uh, significant other. And the way that archetype fits into this story with I'm thinking of ending things, it's like clearly this is not a real person. And and it takes, at least for me, it took basically the entire movie to arrive at that conclusion. I really thought that she was real for like the entire movie. And then you get to the end and you find out that she's essentially a fabrication. So you didn't pick up on that stuff in the house that she wasn't that there was like kind of something going on that maybe she was not real or anything because I picked it up on it in the house. Yeah, I mean, there was the picture, the picture that shifts, but it was really in the cellar. Whenever they go into the cellar and one painting out of the washer, they pull out all the janitor outfits and everything that was like, we're definitely just in this dude's mind. And that's only at like the halfway point. So I didn't. I kind of picked up on that early on, but also the paintings. He sees the paintings that are like expressing mood and stuff like that. That and you see it, they're not painted by her. They're painted by somebody else. I didn't think, yes, for sure. I mean, I didn't think of it as much as uh us being in somebody's mind, uh, as much as us just like being thrown around in time. Mm. That's kind of what I got from it because everything that's happening in the house with David Thewlis and Tony Collette, like we're seeing them young, we're seeing them old. Um, it's it's us being swung around in different points in time. Mm-hmm. So the the being in different points in time does not mean that you're in somebody's mind. So I just I, the the subconscious point was a little bit more of a stretch for me that I didn't qu- it didn't quite click until the very very end yeah, of the movie. Yeah, that that's fair because it feels like any expectation you have going into that house is like out the window. You know, yeah. like it it feels like it's going in a like full like get out parasite, but white and like <laughs> suicidal. Like you know what I mean? It yeah. feels like it has that sort of vibe. Mm. Um, we could talk about Colette and Thulis for probably 20 minutes. It's the yeah, best it's, part of the movie. They're, I mean, it's they're so good. Yeah, because they are the best. Like it's incredible. Manic Tony Collette is just like She's on another fucking, fucking plane. She's but a monster in also, this movie. 
I mean, talking about the shifting in tone and everything, the shifting in their performance from one thing to the next. My my read on all that was that we are in his head and he's trying to think of what is the perfect point in time to have this person come in my life. Should I have him come when they're young and healthy still and they can cook? Should I come? Should I introduce this person to my family while my mother is on my deathbed and she can see her die like I did? I'm assuming that's yeah. me jumping to that. But um like kind of playing around with that, but the way that their performances drastically shift, especially David Thewlis goes from just being like kind of horny dad. That's like upstairs <laughs> fucking. And then like, like really two stupid. minutes later. <laughs> yeah. Two minutes later, he has dementia and he had, they have to put signs up on all of the rooms to like, so that he can figure out which He's room is really who's. good. He's really, really good. I, I wanted more from that character a little bit, just because like when you're first introduced to him, he can't look at Jesse Plemons like he can't make eye contact with him he like shakes his hand like looking away mm -hmm. from him and I just had so many thoughts in my head during that moment I was like what what is going on with him like who's being abusive to who like <laughs> is it Tony Collette is it Jesse Plemons like what is the dynamic in this family like what what is the the terror that's happening here even with the basement with the the tape and the scratches on mm -hmm. the door and none of that is ever really explored in any meaningful way. And I just felt like it was kind of missed potential because we move away from the house and go to the the Dairy Queen or whatever. And then the <laughs> school to close out the movie. So everything that happens in that house, I was just so on board with. Mm -hmm. And it was ramping me up to really, really love the movie. And then it kind of goes somewhere else. And I didn't hate where it goes because all the stuff that happens in the school is is good. But, you know, we don't return to that the the dynamic in that house ever again. I I saw also it's funny you compare this to Tana. I saw the basement as also another metaphorical thing because once she goes down there is when a bit of a rift happens where like, you know, the truth of the situation and the imagination of it all mm -hmm. is sort of revealed. Um, so I saw it as like a as like an inception style, like like open up the don't open the safe, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think yeah. the cellar is kind of the most overt metaphor for me in the whole thing where it's just like the cellar is the subconscious. If you go down there, then everything. Yeah, like shit, shit like explodes show. a little bit. Yeah. Another important thing that happens in the house is that is when we first realize that uh, we even if we don't realize that Jesse Buckley is not real, we realize for sure that she is not a reliable narrator <laughs> because we get the first sign of it is simply the shot of her eating alone. Uh, and, you know, instead of having everyone around her uh, and then it comes down to the way that she interacts with the parents, the ways that she doesn't see their rapid aging as like bizarre in any way. She is fully along for that ride. And she shifts yeah. along with them, which yeah, she does like she, the way her mannerisms, like, uh, like especially at the dinner table when they're being like aggressively stupid people, mm -hmm. like yeah. she, <laughs> she becomes a dumbass, and it's and also, really awesome. Yeah. She does the, I, 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 like it's, oh, it's so top, top five, like weird, uh, scary thing that I wouldn't think is scary is a dog that won't stop shaking its head. <laughs> really, I hated looking at that man. <laughs> you only ever see that dog just. Shaking I was like, you got to stop. <laughs> you got to stop. Man. Um. Anyway, though, that th it really fascinated me how she goes along with it. Um. But uh, uh, this is the only thing that I, I really took out of that Kaufman interview because a lot of it was just like the, a dictionary of references that I don't need to understand. 
Um, but this kind of confirms something I was thinking about her character where he said uh, she is a device, but I wanted her to be able to separate herself from that, which is I think is really important that she's mm. able to be like, this doesn't seem right. What's it's, going on? It's a great performance. This is wrong. Like, she, yeah, she is trying to make sense of it. It's a lot. I mean, it's again, it's a dream where sometimes in a dream you start catching on. You're like, wait a minute. What the fuck is like I'm eating like a whole block of cheese and I'm in the White House. <laughs> I, I wonder what he must have told her on set like do you think he told her like hey you're not a real person you're some sort of fabrication amalgamation of a bunch of memories well she certainly read the book you know yeah i'm sure as reference material i want to read the book yeah see so so do i i because i've heard that especially the ending is drastically different i want to we'll talk about the ending uh uh, in a you mean bit, the but... end of the book isn't just a bunch of stage direction for dancing? <laughs> no, um, unfortunately it is not. But um, no, another thing that because she is still cued into some of the weird stuff that's going on. For example, like her name changes throughout the oh, yeah. entire film. Like she is Lucy and then Ames. she's Louise. And then but she picks up whenever she says Ames. She's like, that's short for Amy. That doesn't sound, sound like my name. Is that me? Yeah. <laughs> what am I? Like, because um, it's and it kind of feeds into that whole thing of like he met this woman. This point is an old man. He probably met this woman like 50 years ago. Uh-huh. And she like the details of it are fuzzy. He just remembers um, like and that multiple women, been. too. It's not just one woman. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's an idealized version of multiple well, women all put together. Another important thing that that does, though, that establishing her is very unreliable does is it removes uh, a really good access point for a wider audience is having one character who knows that something is weird yeah. is going on. Like. Have, if she were in that house, like, wait, they're old now. Wait, they're young. Like that would be the way to have it be a popcorn flick is like if there's someone that we could be like, oh, my God, I feel for her because she's confused and I'm confused. And this it's like everyone is confused at times, but also there are times where she is not confused at all. And she definitely fucking should be. <laughs> that was one of the the things that made this movie so tough for me to find a way into the story, because you have a character that you think is going to reveal the truth. You think you're following her. Right. And she is going to uncover things throughout the story along with you. And then you realize that she is a part of a giant, massive confusion. She is not going to help you through this. And really, (laughs) she's not the the main character. It's Jesse Plemons. It's his story. But but it's not really set up that way. Mm -hmm. It's set up to be her story. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, that's that's what I found one of the most the kind of like infuriating yeah. things about it. It's no, like, that's totally fair because it took me a minute to acclimate to her not being a focal point because she still is like getting the most camera time. But you can't be thinking like she's going to help me. She's not going to help you like yeah. figure it out. The movie completely moves yeah, away from that. You think she's going to help you. She will not. Um, to finish that quote from Kaufman about this, about her being fictional and about her like wanting to break out. He said, I didn't want it to be a twist. I felt like that would not work in a movie at this point in history, which I think is definitely true. If it like at the very end, it was like, oh, by the way, like instead we have her in the middle of the movie being like really bizarre. So like you're like, well, something's up with her. Um, And then he said, when you make a movie, everything that's sort of ambiguous becomes concrete. Got people playing these things. You can see them. So that to me, that says that like a lot of it did come down to how 
Buckley acted it, which I respect the shit out of. Cause she's so good. Man, dude. she's good. And I mean, fucking Plemons, of course. We, we, Plemons is a known product. I, I kind of mm. wanted more from Plemons. I wanted him to go full oh, fucking psycho. I in think this. Plemons is like on Buckley's level. I think Plemons is like, he is so fucking good because he goes back and forth between playing it like very cool and then at certain scenes during the dinner, like he is noticeably uncomfortable like, and like that he pissed at them for being that's stupid a great yeah scene. like it's He's, between that and yeah, so he weird. has this kind of weird thing where he wants to bring someone in his life so that he can share this trauma with them which we'll talk more about the pig specifically at the ending but before they even go into the house he's just like here i have to show you this spot where there was a like the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life i saw here or i saw um, <laughs> pigs that were like being eaten alive by maggots and and the also the uh i guess the set decoration of that spot is really cool because it's so unnatural it's like a square yeah <laughs> like it's so so many little details about this movie are so cool to me the yeah. goats it like frozen in the corner and he's like what are you talking about they're frozen <laughs> why are you making a big deal out of it they're already frozen <laughs> like what are you gonna do with them it's well so we'll weird. burn them in the spring you know you just <laughs> hold on to animals for like six months until it cools down so you frozen can burn solid. them it's so fucking odd. It's so weird. It's so bizarre. And even, even before uh, Tony Collette and David Thewlis are introduced, that whole moment uh, of just the two of them in the downstairs and Jesse Plemons is so like anxious mm. and freaking out about every tiny little thing. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, here they come. Him standing by the <laughs> stairs just waiting is so fucking bizarre. Yeah, I was awkward as hell. Like, I think you're right that in terms of like, like giving you that movie feel that is easily like oh, the whole house sequence is just amazing. it feels like movie movie but it think it reminded me of like and i didn't necessarily get this exactly while watching it but now thinking back on those scenes like it reminds me of whenever if you're trying to write something and you have like this inner mile like come along and they're like here they come they come down the stairs and then you have to like figure out like how do they greet me down the stairs? <laughs> and it, it, you are just inside of this person's mind where you're just like that, like lingering for 15 seconds. Cause there's like, what do my parents look like? How are they going to show up to see us? Like you have to like, kind of figure that up in your head before you move on to the next part. It, it reminds me a lot of kind of like, this is going to sound really, really pretentious, but like, uh, what, how people said that Dali would do his paintings is they would say he would like, I think it was he would have like his pen or his paintbrush in his hand and then he would like start taking a nap on the couch. And the second he he drifted off, the paintbrush would fall and he would wake up and he would paint exactly what he was yeah. imagining right in his like dream state. That's what Charlie Kaufman does to me. Exactly. Course, yeah. He captures uh, dream logic in a way that I've never quite seen so well done. And I... Hunter, I'm going to be honest. It made me really want to watch David Lynch movies mm. because I don't have a lot of experience with like surrealist cinema, but I could not have been more enthralled by just being along for the ride in this movie. Yep. Scene it's, to scene, just being like, where? What? I mean, this is why <laughs> this is my favorite type of films, because it's a film that's mood and not and film that's plot. So I was just going to say that because I think. When I sat down to watch Twin Peaks The Return, I knew pretty much what I was going in for. I knew that this was going to be a wacko, just full on out there type of shit. I don't know why I thought. 
that a new Charlie Kaufman movie <laughs> was going to give me plot. And I think that that's why I felt disappointed because a, a small part of me, even halfway through this movie, I thought the plot was going to kick into high gear. And now looking back, I'm like, you stupid. Why did you? Why did <laughs> I, you think he's that? never done anything that's like super plot but heavy before? He's been though. more plotty than this, of course. You no, know, he yeah. has. I mean, I mean, uh, being John Malkovich has a crazy ass plot. But even if you think about um, uh, adaptation, that movie is about how the plot is intruding into the yeah. story. And how you want to have a movie that is not heavy on plot, but the plot finds its way in. It is funny that uh, one of the things that Charlie Kaufman does talk about in the IndieWire uh, interview thing is like after doing adaptation, he kind of told himself, like, I'm never just going to straight adapt anything ever anymore ever again, because whenever I do that, I feel like it loses like pieces of the source text so i might as well kind of put my own little twist and everything on it it is interesting i do really want to read this book because i've heard that certain things are more concrete and certain kind of loose ends are just done differently in the book um do you guys want to talk about the ice cream yeah shop? The, that, that, well, we gotta yeah way, we gotta get into the whole ending that um that dolly thing it was actually a key i don't want to editorialize oh real oh life. Oh, but he, yeah, yeah, he would wait until the key dropped. Um, yeah. So the ice cream shop. Lovely. I so that was at this point. I was I was so lost. I had no idea what the, the hell was. I recognize the girls in that scene. I recognize them as the girls because we haven't really talked about the flash forwards flash into modern times or whatever but there is that one shot when he's just yeah. like walking down the hall and then there's there's the two blonde girls there snickering at him and then the one girl with the rash that he sees yep mm -hmm. and then also at that point you get um you get jesse buckley just being like who is she i recognize her and everything at that point i was kind of um cued into what was going on so i i i really wanted to memorize the whole tulsi town song this <laughs> 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 just to sing it for you guys <laughs> so is this the, I, is this the the are you talking about when he's in the car like freezing to death and he sees that animated sequence no well yeah she sings it then but also Plemons sings it earlier and yeah. it's like some of the yeah. best Plemons in the whole movie it's him <laughs> that's right that's right yeah it's creepy a creepy fucking smile <laughs> singing that and tells it's, it's terrifying it is terrifying just the imagery of the melted like Burr, I think is what it's called. The little like uh, ice cream. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's a like a blizzard. Yeah. yeah. The like the blizzard imagery of that. And it's like bubbling. Ugh. That reminded me a lot of a racer head or something where it's just like so like it's it's disgusting to look at. Like it's nauseating to see. You can feel the car being sticky. Yeah. He's the talking about the the the, uh, the cup holders getting sticky. I'm like, oh, I hate that. <laughs> Another. It's like we have to stop somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> It's like my dad on a road trip. <laughs> yeah, just like I, it's melting. It's getting everywhere. Even the physics of it don't work because when something melts, it doesn't just automatically like flow kinda, out of the kind of gain volume a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't. That's not how physics. <laughs> it's all dream logic. Um, one other thing about the Tulsi town that they go to that I thought was uh, really interesting that I pick up on, but it kind of also ties into the phone calls, which we haven't talked about yet that Jesse Buckley so is getting. Weird. But like. The girl, um, I, I don't remember what the ash, actress's name is. The girl with the rash. Um, she's just like, you don't have to do it. You don't have to go there. Like, 
is like warning, like telling him like you don't have to kill yourself. Right. Like the school is where it's going to happen. If you go to the school, then this is what's going to happen there. Yeah, because I I think that you know looking back on the whole story, the way it ends and everything, it's like it's kind of like this whole thing is just playing out in his final moments in that car before he fucking croaks. Like mm. every the entire movie. Yeah. It's just Shake that me moment. Down. Yeah. <laughs> that moment right at right at the end. I so they get to the high school and um they of course they also have like a really uncomfortable exchange about um uh baby it's cold outside and how that's a rape song and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But one thing I noticed whenever I was watching this movie, they never really like are overtly like erotic or romantic with each other in any way their kissing is like kissing on the cheek it's like all it's like how a mom kisses you on the cheek or something like that because this is a person that not only did he not have a love interest i don't think he's never kissed any woman before so like he doesn't even he isn't capable of even doing that in this fantasy and as soon as they actually do kiss you get that peephole shot of him looking through the people. Mm. So the way that I read that is that his only experience with romance it's is creeping. either through movies <laughs> or it's watching children do it. Ew. Oh. Like it's, it's, I mean, and that's cause a uh, friend of the pod column, whenever we were talking about this was like, did you get the vibes that he was like sexually abusing the students or like abusing? He's them at least way? ogling. He's, I don't yeah, think he, that yeah. he's abusing. I think that he, he's a voyeur. I, I, well, I think, I think that he is so desperately lonely and it's tragic that he's working at the school that he obviously like had just a horrible time at. He had no friends and he was miserable there. But not only just that, that he's stuck at this place that he was once miserable at, but also he he is a person who is now at the end of his life and he is forced to just watch children as they are so young and full of potential and full of life and have the rest of their years ahead of them. And he is now somebody at the end of his life. He knows that he is like, this is it for him. I really liked this guy, by the way, the old man. Yeah. Guy Boyd. Um, He had like in the scene when he hugs Jesse Buckley, there's such a genuine warmth to him. But then also in every other scene, there's not like he really played to the scene in a great way. Classic Kaufman, sad guy, (laughs) just the saddest guy (laughs) you've ever seen in your life. Like this, this dude is just that nobody has a sadder existence Mm -hmm. type age, baby (laughs) fucking sad guys. I mean, Plemons, of course, like he's never looked happy. <laughs> he's, yeah. I, I, we should start calling him like incel Seymour Hoffman or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he ruled his IMDb pick. He looks exactly like Bernie Sanders, which is funny because he doesn't look like that in the movie. But oh, look at this. man, yeah. he does. Bernie. <laughs> um, so uh, this leads into the dance sequence, which is remarkable mm-hmm. very very lovely so you were checked out at this point no the no the the dance really captivated me i okay. love the dance it was so good especially because there's a lot of uh kaufman loves his metaphors right you know mm-hmm. it, this whole movie is a metaphor like good uh, and evil life and death <laughs> the, yeah the, so essentially like the movie basically stops and it's like okay we're gonna just give you a full-on allegory right now and everything we get in this story not only is it linked to the actual oklahoma play 
Um, and it's, I think it's the same song or the same choreography yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, or same general like vibe and, and story beats. But going back to my point about the manic pixie dream girl from uh, Eternal Sunshine, what I got from this scene is a reckoning. It's a, it's a reckoning because it's uh, Plemons realizing that he's not the handsome hero of the story. He's actually the villain. He he has to kill himself at the end of this ballet sequence as the the janitor and and uh, and the 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 character that he's playing in Oklahoma the 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 Judd character is the the villain Judd's dud yeah so I really got a lot out of that sequence. Not only is it beautiful and you know the dancing is incredible, but in terms of the the storytelling, it's like oh so. You have this idea of this guy who thinks that he is the protagonist mm-hmm. in the story, the hero, and that the manic pixie dream girl is going to yes. affirm that. And then he comes to terms with the fact that he's yeah, not he's like, he's no, actually the all, bad guy. This is all shit. He yeah. kind of there's like a sense of a weird sense of like backwards martyrdom to it, like that he is just like there's a whole nother theme that we haven't really talked about. Um that's kind of just the underappreciated value of like the service workers of like the janitors and the trash people sure. and stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. a whole nother thing to this movie. He, nobody ever appreciates this dude for just cleaning up this school. Like he just kind of goes about his lonely life and, and think about his I think home that, life too. Yeah. Cleaning up after his parents. Yeah. Dying I, parents. I think that the duet ballet sequence works so well. One, because of everything that you were just saying, but also kind of it exemplifies this classic version of like old, old ballets where it's like there is a person who represents life. That would be Jesse Bunkley. There's a person who represents death. That's Jesse Plemons. And then the janitor is meanwhile, like he is also in this story. He is the person who's just kind of cleaning up the mess and going along on the yeah. way. Um, it's lovely. It reminded me a lot of La La Land, actually, of like this the ending is, of La La Land. Yeah, oh, of very like much. that's kind of that's what he wanted is he would be, love to die for a woman <laughs> yeah. like yeah. that. And he, totally. he's not going to get that. That's, no, you're right. Backwards martyrdom is a great. Uh, phrase in general i just want to say that mm-hmm. i'm gonna say yeah. it right now backwards martyrdom <laughs> that's awesome um uh, skipping forward just a little bit one uh choice that will stick with me for a long time is the choice to put the entire theater audience in gaudy old person makeup i so i that to me was such a striking visual so that's yeah. tied that's tied to a beautiful mind isn't that it? Is, so that is tied directly to that's you've seen a beautiful mind yeah. before right yeah, yeah yeah so it ends that speech that he gives is literally the exact speech <laughs> yeah that the guy gives when he wins the nobel prize in a beautiful mind i know which just i i clapped whenever yeah. i saw that and i was like bravo by you charlie and Kaufman. obviously in a beautiful mind they're aged up like with like honest attempts to be more accurate and aging up but in this they put the in like 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 you know it's like ghostly. middle school theater level yes. old person makeup yeah. it is so fucking good it's to look bonkers. at it's so fucking it's, good man and, and part of me is is there's the logical side of my brain trying to think like so why what is the intention <laughs> well, behind this he's dead. charlie he so he he dies when things go animated he's dead at that point he has already killed himself in his car yeah but i'm just thinking like why the choice of making the makeup look like that well because they're ghosts 
He's just seeing ghosts of his life and of his like fictitious. Life. I also think that he like obviously he this man has seen a beautiful mind and is using that as a reference point, but also a large part of his reference point is high school theater. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're in high school theater makeup for yeah, old yeah, people. A hundred percent. Like, cause that's just what he's seen for 50 years. And then the movie ends. Well, so <laughs> that's it. I mean, you get the shot of the, the car in the, the snow the day after. And yeah. you think, well, he's dead in that car. So I, do you guys want me to tell you how the book ends? Yeah. Um, so I spoilers for the book here. If you uh, want to read the book, I was curious about the ending. So I looked it up. Um, the ending of the book is a lot more violent. Um, so when Jesse Buckley goes into the school after Jesse Plemons, everything is black and she just gets the feeling like she's being watched, but she's just like running from room to room. And I believe that, excuse me, she gets like locked into the school and we don't see her again. Meanwhile, the janitor goes out to his car and he takes out a clothes hanger and he stabs himself in the stomach and then he starts Whoa. stabbing, like ripping out his throat and everything is just like oh. covered in blood. And she sees that. No. Well, she's all in his head. Oh, like it's just right, like, yeah. right, 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 right. Um, but I, I thought that the way that it did the movie was really much more tasteful, if I can say What's, so. Um, I mean, leave it to Charlie Kaufman to remove the most cinematic part of a book. Yeah. <laughs> from the adaptation <laughs> but i uh is one there thing, an extended animated sequence no the, no there's is there a pig it's just like i see an animated pig walking around with blood because that coming out. naked oh, old that's old so man talk about just like images burned in my fucking skull is whenever you see the nice little tulsi town jingle and then just the little fucking animated pig walking yeah. around that was one thing that because i was i picked up on the pig being the pig from his childhood and everything, but it is interesting. One thing that Charlie Kaufman said in interviews is that he wanted the pig to be his anti Rosebud <laughs> where Rosebud is like kind of this, like used to represent moment of happiness and childhood. And that kind of, he was trying to yeah. get back to, this is a moment of severe trauma that he will never forget that is now kind of affected the way that he has yeah. lived the rest and of his wel life. And welcoming him into death, yeah. essentially. Um, yeah, I, I just remember being like, like seeing this beautiful mind fucking uh, auditorium scene and then the movie just ends and I'm just like, fuck, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really thought that it was going to go somewhere else, but I mean, I was already being twisted around in a million directions. Um, there's three things I wrote down that we've like kind of glazed over that I want to return to before we wrap up Qu super small, quick thing. Just wanted to point out the clothes changing in the house mm -hmm. from shot to shot. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was just such a really good way to disorient oh, you yeah. and convey the, the surrealism. A lot of uh, continuity, like jump cuts too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just like two seconds are skipped. And Even like, the, the, the hair. Get over there? The, mm -hmm. the 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 scar the the band-aid yeah the band-aid band right. switches sides yeah um i thought that was really good also um in the first car scene the moment where jesse buckley stares directly into the fucking camera mm -hmm. and recites that poem um mm -hmm. about just like home is a home is a terrible place home yeah it's an awful place i thought that was amazing amazing <sighs> amazing because you're immediately put into a situation where you're disarmed 
as an audience member and you're like, whoa, why is she doing that? You mm-hmm. know, because she's had these asides with the with the um, voiceover, the narration mm-hmm. that he keeps interrupting. Yeah. And then, boom, she gets that moment to just look right into the lens of the camera and deliver this this monologue. And it's it's incredibly affecting. And then the the third thing is I know you guys haven't seen Synecdoche, New York, and I really, really want you to. Because it is phenomenal. It's so good. I, I'd be willing to rewatch it because it's really, really, really well done. But it has this idea of the, you know, the, the notion of like, you know, everybody thinks that they're the own main character mm-hmm. in their lives, like that type of thing. That, that movie explores that. And it says like, what if you are an extra in somebody else's life? And I think that this movie takes that to a whole nother level mm-hmm. in really, really interesting ways. Aside from it being somebody's imagination and you being in somebody's mind, the idea of like you being, you thinking that you're this one character when you might be a different character exactly. to somebody else. Because early on, we think this is a movie about Jesse Buckley having depression and protagonist syndrome. You know, like thinking that she like getting her monologue constantly interrupted, just thinking like, just let me let, I'm I'm being something right now. Just let me be like in my fucking head. I'm performing for someone, yeah. you know, um, so that. Yeah, that's that's a great take on it. Um, it's just it's so funny where it goes from there. Um, but another thing that I love about this uh, sort of not over other Kaufman, but a departure that I really appreciate is that this is not about a tortured artist. It's about a tortured soul who wishes he was an artist. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know what I mean? It's not about like a screenwriter who has writer's block, which by the way, adaptation is one of my favorite movies ever. Like, so it's not a knock against that, but this is just about like a nothing guy who wishes that he like was just, anything. he wishes that he were a poet who wanted to kill himself instead of a janitor who wanted <laughs> yeah. to kill himself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is like another layer of sad. It's well, I mean, and there's the whole the irony behind like them kind of talking about how like, oh, yeah, of course, like David Foster Wallace, he's just known as killing himself. But they're still romanticizing him for killing himself like Mm -hmm. that whole irony in there that he is a person who will kill himself and nobody will know. Mm -hmm. Like he will just be completely forgotten to time. Mm -hmm. Just be like, oh, yeah, we got a new janitor. What happened to the other one? Yeah, I heard he offed himself. Yeah, that's it. Is Charlie Kaufman doing okay? <laughs> never. Has anybody checked I, on him? He's I mean, never been okay. <laughs> I so this movie is, I mean, don't get me wrong, this movie is like deeply upsetting and troubling, but it did not make me uh nearly want to kill myself as much as Anomalisa did. Anomalisa yeah. was just like, oh, like we are always alone and we will never find mm-hmm. happiness. And this movie, it's more of just like an examination. And I think that I like this be well anomalisa purposefully does it where it is so broad where it's everyone is the same where this is much more specific about this one person and i think that the film works a bit better we did skip over the best line in the entire film which is from uh david thewlis which is um how can a painting be sad if there's no people in it? <laughs> no sad people. What's a lotion no in a fucking basket? It's <laughs> your <laughs> real big fat portion. Yeah, he's like he's so <laughs> British. <laughs> but it's like it's like it's southern. It's a British dude doing a southern accent. Yeah. No, he he rocks. 
like his his insane obtuseness in the in those scenes is so good. Um, and it's also funny because Kaufman's movies to me often feel like trying to interpret visual art, which often really frustrates me, mm-hmm. just like interpreting a painting. Uh, but if you sort of are more willing to surrender yourself to it and like, you know, take yourself in the direction that they want you to go in instead of like your, you know, how you feel it should go. I still struggle with just paint like visual art. Like I still have a hard time uh, analyzing it, but that's what this feels like to me. It feels like much more of like an impressionistic thing than, mm-hmm. than, especially, than most movies. especially the stuff in the house, that wallpaper, mm. like the furniture, just everything is just, ah, uh, yeah. I, I, well, I mean, amazing. and it's, it's, perfect use of impressionist to also further the story because it is still like it is showcasing like that this narrator the the jander doesn't know where to put these people in their story like it is still it, it it's done for a purpose even if that purpose doesn't overtly clear at the time that you are watching it it's still done purposefully yeah and ultimately i i love talking about the movie even if i didn't have a good time watching it um I, I think that there's enough there thematically. The the ideas, it's just like bursting with ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it's like, it's good to dig into them, even though my experience of watching it wasn't like mm-hmm. the best. Um, It's just one of those, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta admire it for what, for what it is. I'm probably gonna rewatch this movie like this weekend or something. <laughs> just talking about it again gets me hyped to just revisit this movie. I, yeah, I, I was in love with it. Yeah, it's... I I do like there is something that I am sad that this film is on Netflix and we can't see this in a theater because I think that that would also help with a little bit of the film Twitter of it all is because it's on Netflix. People are just kind of like throw it on more casually and that's not really how you're supposed to watch any Charlie Kaufman movie is casually. Um, but I, I am glad on the other hand that this movie is on Netflix so I can just kind of throw it back on like tonight <laughs> if i wanted to yeah um what's it called um being john malkovich is also on netflix mm. so mm. maybe malkovich malkovich, malkovich. Yeah, maybe when to, we're done with uh, lord of the rings we could do that next week we'll be back with two towers uh, quickly do you guys think there is any kind of awards love for this movie yeah i mean if if there, if in any year this would be the year just because there's not there's like a quarter of what there usually is it's just it's very much uh of a vein that doesn't get recognized by the academy no, i think no. charlie kaufman has a good shot for yeah. screenwriting yeah what what it, i would say just adapting buckley god what, oh, so much it, it could be i mean buckley could at least get nominated for it to be like a coming out party for her because people have already been like talking about it for a year or two now and if she gets a nomination then it's like okay jesse buckley you have arrived yeah you watch her in this you're like that is someone i mm. mean she was also in Doolittle, so she could be going for that oh too. yeah you're right a double nom yeah <laughs> double nami um also i always notes, forget she's the fireman's wife in chernobyl yep yeah yeah she's great in that I always just a that. very small role. Yeah, yeah. She yeah, she owns she'll be around uh forever. Uh Jesse Plemons will be around for like 40 years. See, we say this and this is how you know they're going to die like tomorrow. <laughs> oh no. no. I think I think that we might have even said this about Chadwick Boseman and now I'm actually getting uh, sad that we were talking about this after Defy Bloods. I'm thinking of ending things. <laughs> I'm thinking of ending this podcast, so mm. we might as well wrap it up. 
Thanks for listening. Uh, check out the movie and the boys and let us know what you thought. Like I said, next week is Two Towers and then Return of the King after that. Back with Brett. Also, we're planning a special episode with a returning guest. Uh, Music-centered episode. Um, Mm -hmm. Stick around. It's going to be a good time. Big old album extravaganza. Yeah, Mm -hmm. We won't won't reveal it quite yet, but I'll just say... uh, Tune up a little bit on your uh, 2000s uh, albums. Maybe little, go back. Maybe go back. Listen to some Oops, I Did It Again. Listen to the aughts, folks. Listen, listen to some Lifehouse, some Switchfoot. We should start calling it the aughts. I think that's like cool when people say the aughts. I'm not joking. I like this. <laughs> because also when people say- I don't two- know. For some reason when people say the aughts, I still think of the 1900s. No, I know. But when people- And s- I know that that was like over, that was like 120 years well, ago at this point, but when, I still think of that. When people say the- the 2000s i'm like okay do you mean like all of them because you know what i mean like <laughs> we're yeah. still in them. yeah we're in the 2000s i just like when people say the aughts i'm just like picturing just like ah uh, gotta go down and work at the factory to provide <laughs> bread for my family that's how it was in like back in the bush days <laughs> what about the the o's post 9-11 was rough <laughs> the o-o's oh, i've heard the o-o's the and i don't like that <laughs> the o-o's <laughs> What's his name? Um, King Cruel? Yeah. <laughs> Dom Suffer. Mm. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all the donors for donating. We love Follow you. us at We Bought a Mic on Twitter and email us at We Bought a Mic at gmail.com. Stick around. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Bye. Love you. <laughs>